Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Brand and Beyond podcast. I'm your host, Chris, joined, as always, by my co-host, Peace. And today, we have a wonderful episode for all you guys out there. We are joined by Brian Castle, the CEO and founder of Park Life. Brian, honored to have you on. Extremely happy you're here. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great. Got my workout in. Uh, got a little work done. And I get to spend a little time with the two of you. So it is good to be me today. Oh, well, we absolutely love to hear that. This, this, see, ladies and gentlemen out there, Ryan Castle is a flatterer, first and foremost. <laughs> get, in, get into the first question. Brian, please give us a little background on yourself and a little bit more of uh, you know Park Life and what you guys do there. Yeah, um, I'm an old guy, you can tell, because my hair is now painted white and gray all over. Um, so I like to, uh, tell people it's been a long, strange trip, Grateful Dead reference. That'll be your first one during this call. (laughs) Um, I started the first, uh, half of my career as a misfit toy in the banking and finance industry. Uh, I've always been kind of a left field thinker and an idea generator. And, uh, at least in the, oh, close to half a dozen companies I bounced around, that wasn't really valued at the levels where I was performing at the time. And so it was a little bit of a bumpy ride. I had some success because uh, I am very client focused and enjoy collaborating with business owners from that time. But I was constantly pissing people off uh, up the food chain. And so after getting fired for the second time, uh, my wife, uh, who I met in college working on our college newspaper, she said, why don't you try writing and doing creative stuff? Uh, she was in corporate marketing at the time. She said, you're, you're never going to fit in with those people. And um, so this company now, this bustling little juggernaut, started 14 years ago as a little side hustle, uh, as a way to you know make money with my friends and clients uh, that I enjoyed working with and other contexts. And uh, like I said, now I'm an accidental entrepreneur running a uh, little boutique agency uh, with about, you know, four dozen clients and about 13 people participating in the company from full-time to part-time to extreme part-time. So uh, it's been a hell of a journey these last 14 years. I mean, I think first of all, it's only right that we uh, we shout out Suzette, being that she definitely takes a part yep. uh, in that journey. Um, but uh, within your agency, how many? Uh, excuse me, not how many. Uh, what are the size of the clients that you guys deal with? So, before I answer that question, you name drop Suzette. Suzette was kind of the game changer. Absolutely. Um, I was always trying to keep this thing kind of tamped down and controllable as a side hustle. She joined me when she was in college, ended up staying five years. And she was the one that said, hey, uh, why don't we turn this into something? (laughs) And I thought, well, if she thinks that, if she believes in it, there must be something to it. So we did it. So our clients vary. from Fortune 500 all the way down to solo entrepreneurs. We've got a uh, business model that that there's very little I do that's like planned over a one, three, and five-year interval. I kind of stumble into greatness and 
bump my head a lot too. Um, yeah. Put it politely, but we're able to work with virtually any kind of company. We've got kind of the split model where we've got about 65% of our revenue uh, comes from direct clients and then about um, 30, 35% in a given month comes from other agencies that subcontract work to us uh, because we are so specialized and uh, because of our mission to board great creatives, uh, they come to us to get the work. Can you, can you deep dive a little bit into like the scope of work you do for these, these clients? Sure. I mean, we do probably 90% of our works, our retainer based ongoing work. Uh-huh. Uh, and then about 10% or so of projects. So we do everything from building and maintaining and growing websites uh, to managing social media content, blog, press releases, collateral materials, doing a lot of brand or doing a lot of strategy around content. This is kind of a dynamic that's been created kind of by the digital revolution. Uh, I was talking to a longtime client and friend this morning, and I had a little bit of a, my epiphanies are really dumb. They're not profound. But she and I, she's in her 40s, and I'm in my early 50s. And if you think about this one thing that was the game changer, it's when the world of marketing communications went digital. That created unlimited real estate. Before, it was all TV advertising. It was only 24 hours in a day, right? Newspapers, magazines. There was only so much they could print, right? So there were all these physical limitations. Now with the internet, it's like, you know, how big is the universe? And so because of that and this digital revolution and marketing getting more and more technical and trackable and all that... Somebody like me, the I've chosen the lane of being pure creative, going with content, brand, and strategy around that content. And it's just a bottomless pit uh, of demand for that. And it will be for the foreseeable future. So it opens you, up all kinds of business for us. Yeah. So how, how have you seen like marketing efforts almost evolve? As you said, like now we're at a stage in marketing where it's how far can we go? Uh, have you seen these marketing efforts evolve through the years as certain demographics demand varying forms of consumption? I'm saying, you know, we spoke about well, previously sure, in our past yeah. conversation. Well, that's yeah, been please, a, yeah, that's been a huge driver, you know. Um, and I've I've sort of this is something else I've just stumbled into. <laughs> I, you know, when I decided to grow this thing, it was a matter of do you go the more traditional route, like say, okay, we're good at content. Do we add? HubSpot implementation? Do we add big emphasis on SEO and paid media? Do we add a big PR shop? And for me, it's been more of let's play in one lane and go as wide as possible. And to more directly answer your question piece, that's that kind of mirrors what's happening in the marketplace. Like I'm old enough to remember when there were no websites. I'm old enough to remember when they went, they first came, they just looked like these awful, just ass digital brochures. Then they started getting more designed and dynamic. 
And that's when I jumped into the marketing field, actually. It was 09 when sites, there started to be more of a demand from consumers for more dynamic content. And so then, of course, what kind of dynamic content? And it seems like you see in some things an evolution and in some things a pendulum um, where you're getting new tools coming on like social media and then like different types and subtypes of social media platforms. Really, I can remember when YouTube was disrupted. Now it seems very pedestrian um, compared to some of the later video disruptors like TikTok. Um, But really, it's all of these things that each generation is demanding. One thing I've noticed recently, we seem to be going back to a lot more uh, reading material on websites and social, longer posts, uh, longer site pages. I, I got some wireframes the other day. I was like, holy shit, this is like twice as much writing as I might have been asked to do three years ago on this same site. So I don't know where I took that, man. Did I take it where you wanted to go? Yeah, 100%. No, that's really interesting. So, you know, Brian, you're speaking about a lot of the you know trends you've seen in the past decade, decade, um, and things you're seeing now. What are trends that you're following also right now find, and that you find interesting when servicing your clients at Park Life? And any trends that you'll see that, you know, you're kind of banking on in the future that we might see in marketing and for you? So I made a, I made a big switch in the last couple of years where I started focusing less on the the media or the platforms available within the media. And I've always kind of been about story. And, and I, I consider it kind of trite when people like me like talk about storytelling. It's like, duh, that's what we're supposed to do. But what really helped us get dialed into who we are and help us have more conversations to help our clients do that. I sat down, it's probably a little over a year and a half ago, and I was like, what are what do we want? What do we want? What's the kind of the creative work should be fun? <laughs> so what should what should I want to do? And so we decided to focus on entrepreneurship, social impact and innovation, thought leadership, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um those are those of all. I'm kind of an OG on thought leadership. I've been doing ghostwriting and been the the guy behind the guy or the guy behind the woman. Um, you know, putting out content, whether it's podcast planning or video, or certainly writing blogs and white papers and things like that. Um, I got really hooked up in the social innovation space. Um, a couple of years ago, we started working with a social innovation accelerator in Dallas. That's a pretty amazing venture that's funded by the United Way there. So I've gotten to work with probably 10 or 12 social impact organizations in the last mm-hmm. few years. Um, entrepreneurship, you know, when you're small and uh kind of built to be flexible and open-minded, you tend to attract entrepreneur business because entrepreneurs need people who understand them and give that give them that ultimate flexibility. 
And then the last one, DEI, um, save the best for last. It's really important to me. I feel like I've faced some challenges in my own area of diversity. Uh, I'm a father in a transracial family. I live with a very threatening uh, uh, illness that I don't disclose unless I'm on national podcasts like this. Um, so just thinking about, you know, people in the workplace, people in your customer base, uh, and, and how to be more inclusive, that means a lot to us. To kind of turn it back to your question, the country's getting younger. Boomer generation has been retiring, and I say this respectfully, they're dying in greater numbers by the day. So you've got this big old generation, then you got my generation, Generation X, which is freaking tiny. Then you've got millennial generation, which is huge. And then Gen Z's coming in the workplace. So as all of that's happening, I talk to more and more clients who are saying, I'm looking at everything we're doing from a marketing standpoint. I'm thinking, who the hell are we? And so they're questioning who they are and are they equipped from a brand standpoint, from how they treat their employees, their internal culture, sort of that being attractive to more people and people who are more widely different than ever before uh, and understanding that on a bigger level. I'm seeing a lot of that in my conversation. So, I mean, you unpacked a lot there, right? But something I definitely want to jump back into is when you sure. introduced how uh, the demographics within the workforce are becoming more diverse, right? And with that more diversity of, you know, physical body count, right? Also mindset and desire and needs within the professional uh, field. Uh, what can you speak on to, to companies at all sizes, right? Uh, mentioning that, hey, you know, Gen Z millennials, they're about to be dominant. They're about to be a, a dominant powerhouse, you know, by decade's end. What trends and services or experiences do you think companies should provide them uh, as they start to make their way into the workforce? There's a few really big pieces to that. Um, I have a very diverse team generationally. I've got a, I've got a young, young, young boomer. I've got a little cadre of Xers. I've got a couple millennials, and I've got a bunch of Gen Z. And one of the biggest elements of this, guys, is like this generational attitudes toward work. The boomers were raised by people who stood in bread lines in the Depression. So you could beat you could beat a boomer every day at work and they'd say, give me some more beatings until they went home. Like my generation was raised by those folks. So we we I, I had to get fired from jobs that I hated, working for people that I hated their guts. I had to get fired. Um, but then, you know, it started changing with the millennial generation. They started going, yeah, this is bullshit. <laughs> I'm not going to stand for this. And they kind of kicked the door down with their how they even think about their relationship to work. And Gen Z 
has become that attitude on steroids. Like, and you look at what happened with the pandemic and you look at all these boomers and Xers trying to understand what's causing the great resignation. And it's like, well, because they realize you don't give a shit about <laughs> and and they're they're empowered to walk. They're empowered to put their money where their mouth is. And I, I've met so many people in my career in the last couple of years who just said, hey, I'm out. <laughs> See ya. And they didn't have anything lined up um, and didn't care. And, and I applaud it. You know, I, my generation looks at that like bravery. They look at it as like common sense, like your relationship with work shouldn't be crappy. It should be good. Your voice should be heard. That kind of transitions into inclusion. You've got a much bigger, much wider, much more hetero, much more Christian, much more homogenous generation retiring and dying off being effectively replaced and like you said peace in the next uh, seven years majority of the workforce is millennial and gen z most diverse in history you've probably seen and it's not you got to think about it in terms of dimensions of diversity it's not just race and ethnicity it's not just that the workforce is more gender diverse you think about lgbtq folks you know historically when society was way more oppressive, about 3% of people openly identified. Have y'all seen some of the surveys of high school students? It's like 15%. Some people think that's Hollywood, but I don't think Hollywood makes people make sexual choices. I think (laughs) it's maybe because they have parents like me who aren't assholes. So, if you're an Xer, an older millennial, or even a young boomer, and you're in a decision-making place, and you've got what feels to you like this overwhelming new presence of people on the gender continuum, of people on the spectrum of LGBTQ, you talk about not knowing how to act, not knowing what to say, being uncomfortable. And that's pro- that's one of the main reasons I got into that space, because I was born into that. I've evolved and been awakened on my personal journey, and I'm just the ideal Sherpa, I think, to take those kind of people along so they can be better people and they can be more competitive. So what can, how do you think they can approach that perspective or at least prepare for that, that time frame? with the current team members they have now, right? Are there certain initiatives that you can encourage encourage companies to follow or pursue with their team members to almost prepare themselves for these incoming uh, young minds or how, well, absolutely. How, would you, how would you see it? Absolutely, because even people, even people that are woke aren't necessarily equipped. And the more I look into these things, none of us have truly arrived especially as companies. There might be some perfect people out there who are completely unbiased um, in their personal dealings, but no company is like DEI utopia. And so there has to be a couple of things. I, I think you have to get outside help. 
my the help I've gotten in that regard, I have a partner and client called the Diversity Movement. They're out of Raleigh. They're very innovative, very entrepreneurial, and very in tune to the challenges that leaders face. And they they get down in the weeds. It's not all this high and mighty like companies have their values in place. They need to be taught how to live their values more inclusively. And so it's equipping and it's people in my generation only know two sets of pronouns. Three really, but it's the neutral pronoun nobody wants to be called, right? So just being equipped like way down into the weeds to and just using correct pronouns and correct being defined as what people want to be referred to. That's huge. Like it says, my heart is open and I appreciate who you are so much so that I'm going to adjust how I talk every day and not make a big damn deal about it. But then perhaps more importantly, and I've been engaged with clients on this topic is employee listening. You know, being in constant contact with your employees about what's meaningful for them and what they need. And that could be anything from in a bigger company, like having formalized employee resource groups where you have folks of color or LGBTQ folks or folks living with disabilities that are able to organize and bring their voices together to share their concerns, share their ideas for improvement. And then, of course, leaders need to champion those groups and not just kind of sit back and wait to hear from them. It needs to be a proactive dialogue-driven thing. I think in my company piece, I think, you know, what's more important there is I've noticed that and this goes back to kind of the relationship with work thing and being more inclusive is I'm trying to hunt down more work that has purpose and not just do work purely because it brings money. in. And so that may mean we do more pro bono work. I notice the more pro bono work that I take on from fledgling purpose-driven organizations the more my revenue goes up in other places, I think, because it feeds the soul. And I think yeah. that's something younger generations want. On, So we, we spoke about what companies could do. Well, at least leadership and executives can do for their internal teams. What do you think internal teams can do to almost showcase to their audience, you know, aspiring people that want to work at a company, what what can they do to almost like broadcast to the world? Like, Hey, we're inclusive. Hey, this is things we believe in. Again, Chris, I'm sorry too, bro. I know, I know I have Chris over here waiting to, to chime in. No, no, listen, he's, he's got a lot of things to say. A lot of questions to ask, please. I'm letting yeah, him rock out. Right he's got to ask. No, we got plenty of time for Chris. So, um, you just said broadcast it to the world. The companies that I think, like I said, nobody's arrived, but the companies that are on that leading edge, they're doing it in a lot of different ways from having their people go out and speak, from having people appear in video content, 
about the company, about its culture, about the work the company does and why people there, you know, like themselves, find it meaningful. I think it's, I think it's, it's, uh, it's largely down to humanizing who companies are. There aren't any companies. I mean, I'm sure all this AI stuff I hear about every day, I guess AI is going to have its own company one day of no people. But right now, all companies are comprised of people, and it's important to humanize as much as possible. And it's a it's a two-way thing, right? You're giving your employees a voice and a say in how the company's portrayed and their own unique contribution to it. But you're also... What I, I think it's devastating from a talent acquisition, the first piece is talent retention and growth. From a talent acquisition, you feel like you know these companies. You feel like you know these people. You already know who you want to be friends with and eat with in the cafeteria or drink a beer with after work with these companies that are doing it well, right? So... I, I'm a huge proponent uh, of doing that, whether it's like planned content or even bringing in user-generated content. We're starting to implement that with some of our clients with some new tools we have to make it easy to do that for them. So, yeah, it's uh, broadcast it to the world, just like you said. Yeah, absolutely love that broadcast it to the world. You got to trademark that or something. Ryan, I really like that. So... <laughs> Obviously, um, you have just a wide range of experiences, you know, over a decade now to park life. And throughout that time, you know, what, what experiences uh, stood out to you throughout the years, right? Any failures or success stories you could share with our audience on how companies you've dealt with handling, managing different demographics or how they see the longevity of their company, whatever really comes to mind, the story that just really sticks out to you. Yeah, this is the one I had uh, trouble with. You know, it's it seems like y'all are, y'all heard the uh, we talk about this a lot in the DEI world. Um, you've heard the concept of microaggression. Um, I don't think of my experiences as like these big cataclysmic deals, positive or negative. It's more uh, it's kind of a Buddhist concept where we're we're changing constantly like we're operating in a world with millions of stimuli people we run into like the three of us won't be the same after this conversation i'll be so enlightened and know myself better from getting to know the two of you in this conversation right and y'all are sitting there going man this will be like smoking a joint talking to this guy on a podcast so it's more of that constant change. And it's also being able to like re- take a minute and reflect on things as you go along. And you kind of see where like as a leader, which I've been trying to grow something as a leader now here for a while, you see your failures. I'll tell you something that, that I've seen myself do a few times and thankfully I'm not doing it quite as much being presumptive based on 
like you feel like you're doing a lot of listening with people. And I'm talking specifically like with employees and partners um, because everybody needs partners to get work done. Being presumptive about what they need versus periodically saying, are you getting what you need from me, from this thing that we're doing? And um, I've, I've nearly lost great people and great partners over that. I have lost in some cases, and I've saved incredibly valuable relationships because that's what they are. Um, just by saying, hey, I've been thinking this. Is my little narrative I have about you and your experience here with me, with our products or us collaborating, you working for me? You know, and I and I, I like our guest, uh, your 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 fellow Park Life guest, uh, Susa. I, I can remember. I thought I had her. I thought I had her nailed. I thought I had her down. What she wanted, and um, thank goodness, she planted her flag one day with me and said, "We're not doing anything I want to do." I'm like, "Oh my God! I, I thought you wanted." She goes, "No, I want to." I want to specialize in this and I want to get to be elite in this. I don't want to be a Jill of all trades. And it blew my hair back because I was really wrong when that happened. Um, So I've tried to learn more about through listening. That's the only way you can really learn reading and listening versus talking. So I think companies are trying to do that on a more global level. I will tell you, one of my favorite people uh, that I've been walking the planet with for about 25 years, he was my first boss out of college, and he uh, threatened to fire me the day I met him. And uh, that story is a long and twisty one, but it's had nothing but happiness for the last 24 and three-quarters years. Um a friend of mine, Kevin Jones, he's the founder of a company called Solero Commerce. They're a fast-growing financial technology firm. And I've just marveled at how intimate he stays at a one-on-one level, like with every person. Like he'll, He's now running this growth startup, got people all over the country, and he gets to know them on a personal level. Like, so when he goes, it's not the old school corporate asshole thing where, oh, the CEO's showing up at the office and everybody's scared. He's going to drill me about numbers. He's going to screw with me about that project that went south last month. And this is the first time he's gotten FaceTime with me to slap me in the face directly. Kevin comes around and he's like, hey, Peace, I heard your brother won that big award. You must be so proud. You know, like he really actually, like you got to actually care. <laughs> and that, that seems really foundational and profound and unnecessary, but a lot of leaders don't actually care. And I think that's, a, I think that's why he's such an example. Um, of, you know, and his people are extremely loyal. He's got this massive... I'm proud to say I'm part of his coaching tree. 
Uh, he's got a massive tree. I'm just one branch. Um, but it's really actually caring about the people that work for you. And he threatened to fire me because he cared about me. He, t- he said, you're clearly miserable that I've done my homework on you. You're probably the brightest person working for me. You're clearly miserable. You're toxic, so I can't put up with that. I've got to either fire you or figure out with you how to turn it around. And just that forthrightness and actually caring about me as a person is where it came from. And so, so I think that's so important. Yeah, so, I mean, it seems like as sad as it sounds, something as simple as appreciation just goes under the radar for the value you could bring to the table. Uh, you mentioned DEI, as I just said, appreciation. What are other practices that you found that can be effective for maybe executives or leaders uh, when handling their teams? I think, I think always, always being mindful of what people need, not only in the workplace, but in their life and how you're just kind of, it should be viewed as, not them slotting their whole freaking life into your thing, but you're just like one little cartridge plugging into their wall. And so I think people above every, anything else, they, they prize empathy for their experience in every possible way, both internal and external. And they prize flexibility. I think that's a lot of what the, Great resignation was about. And I think on the flip, what a lot of the most successful companies, like another one of my clients, uh, George Baker at Park Hub, he was telling me he was doing an unlimited PTO from founding in 2010. That outdates the hell out of all the trend pieces in the last five years about that. And Absolutely. It, I, was, Absolutely. I was like, dude, why did you do that? And he said, People need to be able to do other stuff, right? (laughs) And um, I have a joke with my team because I've been emulating that. And, you know, if they ask me for time off, I tell them the answer is always no. And if they demand it, the answer is always yes. And so (laughs) that was my little ruse to break them of the habit of, Hey, dear sir, can I, because I don't want the relationship to be like that. It's got to be more involved. And, you know, and and I'll say to them, my work's got to get done. So just try to give me enough of a heads up where we figure out how the work gets done. You know, like that's, that's, nothing stops because people are off. But when we're all adults and we give a shit about each other and everybody's got families and, Things they like to do, like the whole reason we're working is to have money. Because they decided millions of years ago, people had to have money to do stuff in society. It's it's sort of like this great readjustment of perspective. It's a great gift the younger generations have given to society, in my book. Yeah, couldn't agree more. You know, something as simple as treating people like human beings and not just a cog in the machine or a resource that you have at your disposal, right? Treating those people, again, seems like a groundbreaking idea to some nowadays, but kind of kind of, kind of, of a bit ridiculous, if you ask me. Uh, regardless, kind of... Oh, please, Ryan. What'd you say? Societal therapy. 
you know exactly exactly reminding us so, of you know, here in the first place so yeah so kind of you know kind of looking to close out this conversation or so um one question we love to ask everybody here on the podcast is what's one question that you have for anybody could be a founder operator executive an athlete a celebrity anyone you could think of in your head that would help you on your journey and your career as you continue to grow and bonus points if you have a specific question for a specific someone out there not a requirement though oh that's a good one what's on your heart right now well so, so the nature of my work is i get to talk to people that are farther along on the journey mm-hmm. than I am, you know, as far as like, I'm actually in entrepreneur years, I'm in my twenties. So I'm, I'm, I'm performing, you know, strategic services for a lot of people who are farther along with me. And, and, and so just like I enjoy it's sort of like when I go to my little brother to his house, I like to tell his wife, because he and I look alike, we talk alike, our mannerisms are the same. I like to tell his wife, this is what it is in 10 years. I still got time to bail. And so I like being able to share what the future looks like with people, but I also love talking to people who share those lessons and, and they say, yeah, when I'm, when I was failing, I was more self-absorbed and less open uh, and not paying attention to the things I didn't like to do and bringing in help for those things <laughs> instead of just ignoring them. And so, yeah, I mean, if I, if I could talk to like one person, I would, uh, I'm I'm kind of fascinated by by kind of the supernatural nature of creative talent. Like when I listen to great music, whether it's the Beatles or De La Soul, I've been gorging on De La Soul because their catalog was locked up in an intellectual property battle for like 27 mm-hmm. years. Incredible music. Yeah, so like if I'm listening to any of that kind of stuff, I I love like getting at this question with people. It's like, how do you go about your art, your creative problem solving? Like, what's your process? Um, how do you how do you incorporate collaboration and feedback and things like that? Like, I, I enjoy that. Because that is the core of what I do and my what my team does. I, I enjoy and I and I and I think when I hear those things, it's one of the things like there's artists that are just kind of pure artists, but then there's kind of these people using artistic talents in the business world. And it kind of sp- helps us speak to on a greater human level the kind of values we need to have and how we treat people. Um, I tell people all the time that I'm creating a haven for creatives because we tend to be abused in the workplace where we're a little less linear, um, little less direct. We ramble, 
<laughs> you know, like we, we, we talk things through in, in a lot of cases, uh, demand a lot of conversation. So I'm trying to create a haven for people who don't fit in, even at larger agencies um, where they've gotten too big or too corporate and kind of lost their way with regard to how inclusive they are of creative folks. So, I know we spoke yeah, earlier. Sorry. I mean, yeah, so I know I know we spoke earlier about uh the impact that's necessary to really hold a strong relationship with you know Gen Z millennials being that as we spoke about decades end, they're they're the top dog really in the workforce. Uh but my question to you is how would you how would you advise that demographic moving forward? Uh how would you prepare them when considering the stepping into the workplace? Uh, what are some signals you think they should really be on the lookout for? Uh, maybe even talk about a couple industries that you find interesting. Again, wherever you want to take that question, of course, is on you. But uh, yeah, I'm curious to get uh, your take on that. I've completely changed my thinking on something surrounding this question. I grew up in a era of organizational fit. And I hate conformity and I hate most tradition. I'm just wired that way. Like, and organizational fit breeds conformity, which ultimately turns into a bunch of traditions and a bunch of, this is the way we've always done it. And I try to reject that as much as possible. And when I'm conscious, key, key qualifier, when I'm conscious and my best self, I reject the shit out of orthodoxy from any corner it comes from, because that's where creativity flourishes. That's where problem solving flourishes. And so the Gen Z entering the workforce, <laughs> you do you, you be yourself, you reflect on yourself and you figure out how can I bring value to others? Because that's, that's what business is all about, value ultimately. Because if you're not valuable to someone with a product or an offering or a service, you're going to go out of business. So how can you be valuable? Like I've got one of my people, he's a junior at Michigan State, and he's just off the charts. And I, I love working with younger folks. And he brings lots of ideas. He brings this incredible work ethic that defies the bullshit stereotypes older folks have, mainly because of the different dynamic relationship to work Gen Z has. But I tell him all the time, I'm like, you figure out ways to be more valuable to me and more importantly to the clients and the organization. It seems like every week this guy does it. And Nobody's asking him to conform. Uh, I think my my dear father-in-law and several other people I know work for IBM in its heyday. And my dad used to compete with IBM. And in the 70s, the IBM guys dressed like missionaries, like it was like Navy suits, white, always white dress shirts, dark ties. In the 70s, the disco era, that was really the first true era of men's fashion. <laughs> People wearing wide lapels and all kind of stuff. And my dad said, you can spot those IBM guys a mile away. 
you knew who you were competing with when they were coming out of somebody's office and you were going in after them. So it's just, I think in this world where we've got more and more dimensions of diversity taking over the marketplace, and I use that in a good way, it's so important to be yourself and not try to conform. Um, and if you find yourself in a place where people don't prize every bit of what that means, get out and go somewhere. Call me. <laughs> Call somebody. Find somebody. <laughs> if you're a writer, designer, or videographer, you should call me. If you're, <laughs> if you're in some other profession, try to find leaders who have embraced that kind of thinking because that's the statistics don't lie. More inclusive companies are more profitable. They're more innovative because they're letting more unique voices in. It's not a bunch of white guys that went to Harvard or a bunch of dudes who are fraternity brothers in the same place and they all hired each other. You know, I should pick on women too, but men deserve a little more. So, you know, I, I think it's so important just figure out how to bring value but don't compromise who you are as an individual. There's never been a bigger opportunity to do that. But don't leave it on the table is what I would tell that younger worker. Yeah, well, that was an incredibly powerful statement right there and a really, really beautiful way to end that, Ryan. Um, so going forward, please tell the audience where they can find you, connect with you, where they could find uh, more about Park Life or more about Park Life and anything else you'd like to plug. So, yeah, go to parklife.com with two M-C-O-M-M dot com to learn more about us. I'm on LinkedIn. It's linkedin.com slash weird left field guy that didn't fit in anywhere. Um, how did I get that URL? Nobody will ever know. Um, <laughs> and also, uh, I'm proud to tell the two of you that after an eight, I thought I was retired, but after an 18 year hiatus, I'm returning to youth soccer coaching uh, this weekend. I am- uh, All right, we like that, we like that. My son is Zeke. Yeah, uh, we got eight games and anything short of eight and zero in this under six league where we're not. Couldn't agree more. So <laughs> I'm excited. Only. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, good luck. Good luck to the team in Ezekiel this year. Hopefully, hopefully he's shining like a star out there. Um, and Brian, thank you so much for taking the time. Dropped so many gems, and we really appreciate that. Um, and for all the listeners out there on the Brandy Beyond podcast, thank you so much. And until next time, Brian, thank you.